We're going to prime our thoughts for this particular petition first by looking at Psalm 115, and then we'll turn back to Matthew chapter 6. Psalm 115. And just the first verse, but short though it may be, let us give it the weighty consideration that it deserves. This is the word of God. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. In Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. If you have an ESV, um, there's a little footnote there, hallowed be your name, with a footnote that indicates this could be translated, or let your name be kept holy, or let your name be treated with reverence, or some of your translations, not... um, Not the NIV or the King James, uh, various King James versions, but maybe if you have a Holman Bible, um, that that might be what you find in there or New American Standard. Uh, This is important to understand. Let your name be kept holy. Let your name be honored with, with holiness, treated with reverence. That means that implicit in this request, and this is a request, we've come to the first of six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. But what I want us to see before we get to the petition is that embedded in this petition is an acknowledgement. That's the first thing tonight. We're considering the acknowledgement that undergirds the petition that's soon to be considered. And that acknowledgement is this. Your name is holy. God's name is holy. So we're not asking that God's name would become holy and therefore um, as though it, it isn't holy and it needs to become holy, we're acknowledging that it already is, and therefore, we and all things, all people should treat it as such. So that's the petition. The petition is, let others, and let me treat your name as holy. But before we get there, I want to just consider with you the acknowledgement that's implied there, that God is Holy. His name is holy. And to say that his name is holy really is a way to say that God himself is holy. God's name oftentimes in the Bible stands in for all of God. All that is in God. It's wrapped up in his name. And it's the most appropriate starting point in prayer. For it's the starting point of the Christian life to acknowledge that God is holy and we are not. That's where the Christian life begins, understanding that, recognizing it, acknowledging it. Holiness is God's chief attribute. It's the most important, if I could say it that way, the most important of God's attributes. God is omnipotent. Boys and girls, do you know what it means for God to be omnipotent? He's all-powerful, right? He's omnipresent. It means he's everywhere. He's omniscient. That one's the tricky one. Omniscient, what's that mean? It means God knows all things. But the reason that God is all-powerful and he's all-present and he knows all things is because he's holy. Because holy means different. This is why it's God's chief attribute. 
Holy means transcendent. Holy means not just different, but better than. God is fundamentally, foundationally different from us, better than us. And because he's different and better than us, we can say he has these attributes of omnipotence, omnipresence. He has attributes of uh, eternality. He's always existed, always will exist. He has attributes of, of immutability. He doesn't change. But if you don't have the holiness, you can't have those attributes. So that's why theologians have often said that holiness is the chief attribute of God. All of the reasons we worship God come down to the fact that he is holy. Remember, again, holy means he's different, right? We don't want to worship something that's like us. We don't want to worship something that we've made. The creator-creature distinction is implied in worship. We worship him because he's different than us. He's, He's made us. He's the maker, and we're just creatures. Think of Psalm 99. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool, for holy is he. And that's a theme that's repeated three times in Psalm 99, just like how in Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, is lifted up to the throne room and he hears what the angels are singing, just as we saw John hear the same in, in Revelation 4. They're saying that God is holy. No, wait, he's holy, holy. No, he's holy, holy, holy. It's the only attribute of God that's repeated three times in Scripture like that in that, that triplet. And it happens Not just in Isaiah, it happens in Psalm 99, it happens in Revelation 4. And it's almost as though the biblical data is all coming together so so that it's shouting at us. If there's one thing you need to know about God, it's that he's holy. He's different. And because he's different, he's better. He's better than us. So... If we want to avoid falling into the pit of idolatry, if we want to remember that God is God and we are not, then we take to heart what it means that God is holy, different than us and better than us. But then as we consider more what this word means, holiness, it especially refers to God's ethical and moral transcendence compared to us. And by that I mean when we oftentimes we say God is holy, we don't just mean that he's different in a generic sense, although that is true and it can mean that. But usually when we use the term, we mean he's holy in an ethical sense. So God is holy and we are sinful. We're sinful. So that means to acknowledge that God's name is holy, it's a humbling thing to do. We confess our sinfulness when we confess God's holiness. And think about this with me. That has ramifications for how we view each other. As the saying goes, there is level ground at the foot of the cross. Right? When you come to Jesus, you come no better and no worse than every other sinner. We all are sinners in need of saving. We are all, with Paul, the chief of sinners. There's level ground at the foot of the cross. When you see how glorious God is and he displays his glory at the cross, we all are just worms in the dust. So, when we acknowledge that God is holy and we are sinful, we are simultaneously acknowledging that none of us is any better than the next person. And so imagine the health of the Christian church if we could all with one accord truly pray and live out the the meaning of this petition, hallowed be your name. If we really believed that when we prayed it, it would mean that we would look for holiness from the only source that it could ever come from, which is God, not ourselves. And when we do that, then we humble ourselves because then we don't have to play this game where we say, well, you know, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. 
We don't do that at all. No, because we're all sinful. We're all laid low when we experience God's holiness. And that means we all should share, as a Christian church, a desire to attain holiness, sanctification, same idea, same word, sanctus means holy, to, to, to attain our sanctification from one source and one source alone. And it's not us, it's God. There's all kinds of problems uh, that, that multiply when we think holiness is something we can accrue on our own. And um, a small uh, sheriff election in the county of Callahan uh, in Texas back in 2020 might illustrate this point. There was one candidate, uh, Leroy Fawley, who built his entire campaign on his military record. Uh, he claimed a purple heart and a silver star. He placed those graphics on his campaign posters and, and um, other print material. He also publicly announced that he had served for 11 years as an army ranger. Now, some locals were suspicious of this uh, Foley character, and they began to investigate. They actually recruited um, a, a, an organization that's pure, pure um, or that its only task is to uncover... Uh, people who have violated what's known as the Stolen Valor Act, people who, um, who, who um, pretend that they've done things that they haven't done, they claim records that they haven't earned and, and medals that they haven't won for the sake of gaining public prominence, gaining a job, uh, a, a promotion at, work, at the workplace, gaining more money. So there's this there's organization that does this. So locals said, we want you to look into Leroy Foley because we think... Uh, this guy is lying about his stuff just so he can win this election. Well, it turns out uh, that indeed they discovered he lied about almost all of his accomplishments and medals. But here's the crazy thing. This third-party investigative team, while they were looking into Fall, they thought, we're going to look into his, running, or his uh, opponent as well, a man named Rick Jowers, um, where they learned that he also lied about his military service. During one debate, in answer to Foley's decorated military service, Jowers asserted that he was a staff sergeant and an airborne ranger, as well as a Navy SEAL and a Green Beret. But actually, it was found he had only served in the military a few months before going MIA and then being dishonorably discharged. Now, what's interesting is that Foley, the first individual, built his entire campaign on his military record, which didn't exist. Jowers didn't. It was one time in one debate that he said these things. And so the question came to him from his constituents, why did you lie about this? You never said at any other point, it's not on your website, you didn't print it on your material. And he said, I felt like it was the only thing I could say in that debate to make up for all of the military accolades my opponent was claiming. So what ends up happening is that they're both, uh, they both have to uh, step down uh, from, from the race and uh, Callahan County was left with no one to elect for sheriff. But do you see what happens? When one man asserted honor that wasn't his, it instigated another man to do the same thing. And I think there's a parallel in our own uh, walk as Christians. If we try to claim an honor or a holiness for ourselves uh, uh, th that we could never claim... We're going to make other people want to do the same so that you know, we go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. We can keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, on a spiritual level. But it can only ever come from God. His name is holy. Ours isn't. 
And if we don't get that straight, we'll spend our lives trying to prove that we're better than everybody else. Friends, I have to tell you, you're not better than everybody else. And I'm not either. We're just not. Not to us, O Lord, right? Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory. We don't need to clamor for our own glory, though, when we believe the gospel. There's the good news. So we see these people like in that sheriff election, they're, they're kind of trying to one-up each other and, and they're just lying to us. They're making up stuff because they think that's the only way uh, they could win that election. That's the only way they could get their constituents to respect them and esteem them, vote for them. We can do the same thing in Christian life. Unless I, I claim these things about myself, even if they're not true, it's the only way people will like me, will appreciate me, will vote me into office as an elder or a deacon, whatever, the list goes on. But when we believe the gospel, that desire should evaporate. Because the gospel is the story of how the holy God, the one whose name is holy, 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 freely shares his holiness with us. Gives it to us. We don't need to be vain glory seekers on our own anymore. We don't even need to do that. Because we have it. We have the, 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 the name of God upon us. We receive the righteousness of Christ. And now we're enlisted to seek Oh, something that's much better, and that's not our glory, but it's the glory of God in all things. We're free to do that. I don't need to worry about what people think of me because I have a divine evaluation that far outweighs everything and anything else. So our goal changes. The gospel of Jesus puts us on the path of seeking God's glory, not our own. And we are enthralled by the glory of God, aren't we? Because somehow, wonderfully, that glory is preeminently displayed with a man hanging half naked on a cross saying, Father, forgive them. We see the glory in the gospel. God's glory is manifested in his love for sinners, sinners like you, sinners like me. And we want that glory to be magnified. So we're after that. And so we want other people to know of this glory. That leads to the request of this line. We, or we mentioned first it's an acknowledgement, but secondly, finally tonight, there's a request. There's a, there is truly a petition. Hallowed be your name. And as I mentioned, uh, the ESV tells us, let your name be kept holy. Let your name be treated with reverence. Um, one author says, it means that God, it's a prayer that God would live up to his name, which is, of course, a prayer that will always be answered in the affirmative. God will always be who he says he is. And so, since you're a holy God, a transcendent God, a God who is different and better, prove that. Show it. Let me experience it. Uh, we want people to see his holiness and glory, and we want people to know him. Kevin DeYoung explains it this way. I think this is a really helpful illustration, for me at least. That praying God's name be hallowed does not mean that God's name could be holier. He says glorifying God isn't like using a microscope, which makes smaller things look bigger, but it's actually like using a telescope, which brings into view things that are unimaginably big. That's what it is to pray this prayer. Manifest the holiness of your name. Bring it into focus in my life, in the world. We want God's name to be treated the way it deserves. We want God to be honored as only God should be honored. Calvin puts it like this. We would wish God to have the honor he deserves and that men should never think of him without the highest reverence. So there's an evangelical flavor to this, isn't there? When we pray this prayer, we're thinking of how the world, the lost, think about God. 
We have a desire that they would come to know him in a saving way. It's an evangelistic thing to pray, hallowed be your name. Uh, Asaph concludes his prayer in Psalm 83. That the world would know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Do you have that desire? Is that your prayer? That God's name and character would be sanctified by others. I think that's the first part of this request. We're requesting that his name would be made holy in the lives and actions of the world around us, of others. That's what we're ultimately praying for when we pray for the world. We we try to make a, a point in one of our services at least every Sunday to pray for the needs of the world. And you see it there, you know, in the bulletin. We have the prayer request split down our congregation, the wider church in the world. Why do we pray for the world? Well, we pray for the world ultimately that they would know that God is holy, that he's different and better. And that they could have him. Think about what we pray for the world like when a natural disaster comes. We ask God to preserve life. We're asking him that his intervening mercy would not just save physical life, but that the world would know that his arm is never too short to save. And that they would turn to him then for not just physical salvation, but for spiritual salvation. We want the world to see that he alone is Savior. Or when we pray for our government officials, we're not merely praying that the Lord... Uh, would protect them and keep them safe. We're not merely praying that the Lord would be with them in a generic sense. It's very easy to pray, Lord, be with President Biden. Lord, be with our, you know, with uh, Governor Whitmer. Be with, and we just, and we leave it at that. Well, what does that mean? It's very generic. No, what we pray for specifically is that he would guide our various officials according to his word, that he would be with them in that sense, so that he would guide what they're doing so that they would enact justice and righteousness. Because what happens when our president, our governors, our judges, our legislators, all the rest, our, our local law enforcement, when they do what is just and right, they are reflecting the holiness of God. God's name is being hallowed in those actions. That's what we're praying for, that his name would be hallowed when we pray in these ways. When we pray that the Lord would preserve us from our enemies, we're asking him to show that, that he is greater and mightier than any earthly or human foe. Oh, friends, you all know that a massive foe to not just the Christian cause, but the human cause was struck down uh, the other week in the Roe v. Wade um, overturning decision of the Supreme Court. That is an answer to prayer, but it's an answer to this prayer specifically. Hallowed be your name. That, that, that prayer was answered in that action of the court. Do you recognize that? God has defeated evil, and it displays his holiness. And it's interesting. I've, I've seen mostly, you know, on social media. Um, I don't think I've had any conversations with people in person, but I've seen Christians struggling with how to, how to respond uh, to this recent, recent Supreme Court decision. In particular, we don't want to seem too excited and, and celebratory over the matter because that might make people uh, feel guilty or feel bad uh, about maybe previous decisions they've made in terms of abortion. We don't want to offend other people. We don't want to seem un- callous or uncaring. We don't want to seem prideful. And I, and I understand that to a degree, but what happens then when we are we are cautious before we are... Um, 
celebratory. Well, we, we miss out on the fact that God's name has been hallowed in this. Think about what happened when God defeated the mighty foe of Pharaoh and his army as the Israelites are heading out of Egypt and, and, and the waters come and crush the people. What do they do? They don't hem and haw about it at all. They don't say, well, that's really great, but we don't want to you know, sing about it in case we offend uh, some people who maybe liked Egypt uh, or maybe have some relatives back in Egypt. No, they sing. They rejoice. This is what Moses says Egypt, or in Exodus 15. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deed, doing wonders? Exodus 15, 11. The destruction of their enemies was a display of God's holiness, majestic in holiness. So, when we pray for the world, when we pray uh, for uh, the physical needs of the world, when we pray for those in leadership, when we pray for our enemies, it's all means by which we are actually praying that God's name would be hallowed by others. And a way to gauge if we actually live out the petition of this prayer is to ask a difficult question, and that is, how affected are you by the sin of those around you? How affected are you by the way the world treats the name of God? Does it bother you at all? Are you disgusted by sin celebrated in the world, or do you turn a blind eye? And I, I admit, right, it, it's, it's crazy how quickly we can become desensitized to things. Um, you know, it used to be maybe two decades ago that, two or three decades ago, that having a... Um, a homosexual character storyline on a sitcom was, would have made news. It would have been a big deal. And now it's the complete reverse. If you don't have the representation of characters of that persuasion, then that makes news. You're not diverse. You're bigoted. And we've just kind of come to accept it, or I should say to expect it. Or perhaps at one point we might have taken a stand against a company that promoted an ideology that was counter-Christian. We say, okay, well, I'm not going to go to that store anymore. I'm not going to order things online from that website anymore. But now we can't go to the grocery store, the bank, the gym, sometimes even to our own workplaces without being inundated with this kind of ideology. And so do we notice or do we care? Just questions for you to think about, to gauge the sense in which you might live out this petition. Lord, would your name be hallowed? And as you ask that question... Do I notice these things? Do I care about these things? Am I doing the right things in response? That gets to the second request that's embedded in this petition. The first is that we want God's name to be hallowed by others, but more importantly is I want it to be hallowed by me. It needs to be hallowed by me. So do I live a holy life? Are my emotions and my interests shaped by holy desires. What are the things that you're most interested in? When you think about the term desire, what do you desire? What do you want in life? Would it come under the category of holy? The Heidelberg Catechism, unsurprisingly, does a superb job of bringing home kind of the personal nature of this prayer. Hallowed be your name means, the Catechism tells us, um, and it puts it, this is really what we're praying. It says, to help us to truly know you, to honor you, to glorify and praise you for all your works, for all that shines forth from them, your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means help us to direct all our living, what we think, what we say, and what we do, 
so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always be honored and praised. So again, right, there's a sense in which we want, we desire everybody to hallow God's name, but we have to acknowledge that although there's certain things we could do to promote that end, there's, that, there's only uh, so much we can do. But the request, the desire should be that his name is never blasphemed because of what I do, but always honored and praised. Think about it this way. As a Christian, God has placed his name on you. That's what baptism is. Right? We're baptized into the name of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's like there's this, this stamp, this stamp from heaven, and God takes it and he stamps it on us when we're baptized. The heavenly dog tags. We know our name. We know to whom we belong. We belong to God. We bear his name. Now, imagine... Um, you have a job and um, your employer offers, uh, maybe there's a uniform you have to wear or, or maybe you have a, you know, a windbreaker with the company logo on or something like that and you're out and about in public and you don't handle yourself in the best way and it comes back that an employee from such and such a place did such and such a thing at this place. Your employer's not going to be that happy. Why? Well, not because of what you did, but because you did it wearing the company logo. And so there's going to be repercussions. You might even get fired. There's nowhere we go where we are not wearing the heavenly logo. There's nowhere. There's nothing we do where we're not bearing the name of God. And that's why when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're really saying, in everything I do, would my life be holy? Would it be worthy of you? What I think, what I say, and the actions that I take, would it be worthy of you, O God? So, friends, do you hallow the name? How do we do that? Well, we hallow God's name in professing faith in him, telling others about him, coming into his house to worship on his day, loving the things he loves, hating the things that he hates. Uh, we hallow his name when we read his Bible, when we, when we pray to him, when we share that sweet communion with God in, in prayer. Uh, the list could go on of, of the ways in which we, we could be hallowing God's name in our lives. Thomas Watson gives 16 ways. Uh, that we hallow God's name in his treatment of this petition. But it's no small point of Christian doctrine or life. It really is the essence of the Christian ethic. So we must care about it. Herman Vitzius writes this, The place which this petition occupies, meaning it's first, it's the first petition of the prayer, the place which this petition occupies implies a declaration that no other object is more earnestly or cordially desired by us than the hallowing of the name of God. It should be what we care about more than anything else. That God's name is hallowed in our lives. And isn't that what our catechism teaches us when we're told that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever? This is why we were made. This is what we're all here for. It's no small request to make of God that his name would be hallowed in our lives. Uh, it's the request that God would fulfill um, our purpose in life. We're saying, when we say, hallowed be your name, and Lord, would I, would I keep it holy? Would I revere it? We're saying, Lord, would you give me the happiness and the satisfaction that can only come when I do the thing I'm made to do to glorify you? That's what we're praying when we say, hallowed be your name. Give me fulfillment. Give me the desire of my heart. It's the request that we would be entirely fulfilled in life. And when we make this request, we, we are actually rehearsing our lines in glory. 
Because note that, uh, friends, when the shadows flee away, when sorrows are over, when the corruptible puts on the incorruptible, when the kingdom comes, we will have no need for daily bread, we'll have no threat of the tempter, no debts left to be forgiven. But one thing that we will say on into eternity is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is, and, his, and who is to come. And so it's most appropriate that we make that our prayer now. If we're going to say it forever in heaven, why don't we say it now? O great God of highest heaven, glorify your name through me. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would cause us to live in such a way that your name would never be blasphemed because of us, but would always be held in the highest revere and esteem and in all that we think and say and do. We know this is a big request, but... For you to answer it, Lord, would give us the desires of our hearts. You've made us to know you, to love you, and to magnify your name. So keep us from paltry pleasures that would draw us away from that desire. And help us to be entirely for you. That indeed, you would be glorified. And we would be the better because of it. We pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.